welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I am Becky and I am looking at Marie on the Zoom right now. Marie, what are we fearing today? You know, actually, I fear putting on leaving the house pants because I haven't done that in a while. Wait, you haven't left the house or you've gone out without your... Well, okay, I, I meet with my trainer... And I'm wearing tights. Those are very forgiving. When I go like to a friend's house or whatever, it's like a pool party or I'm wearing shorts. But I haven't put on jeans in like six months. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't put on like... I, I fear right now I'm fearing trying to put on a regular pair of jeans. Because the only pair of jeans I have are these jeggings that are like from Levi's. And they're basically just tights that are made out of blue looking material. That's mm-hmm. all I'm wearing these so I fear like having to zip up a pair of real fucking jeans. No, seriously. Seriously. That'll be the real test. I'm not going to do it for a while though. I'm going to keep dieting and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me t- I know. I don't know. I should. I think it's kind of funny. That's the weird part. I fear gaining weight and I fear working out. Why can't I? Fear working out. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. When I was writing my dissertation, I was working out almost every day. And since I'm done with it, I'm just like, it's complete sloth. So what are we really fearing today? I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I'm actually fearing the power of partnerships and collaboration. (laughs) I I was, it's always interesting getting into a a new relationship with someone and navigating that. And, And there's another aspect to it, which is when you have a lot of similarities which we're so different, but we have a lot of similarities. And I'm sure that's why we're, we're friends. I think a lot of our differences are more outward or uh, superficial. Completely, I completely agree with that, yeah. Um, but the way, I, the way I like to look at it is uh, James and I are both slobs. We are horrible, horrible slobs. So okay. together we create a slob supernova. Right? It's like if you have a neat person and a messy person, they balance each other out. <laughs> we do not. And so in light of our podcast, I was thinking about the similarities that bring people together. And what if the thing you have in common is that you want to torture, rape, and kill people? Oh, if that's your common interest, rather than launching a podcast. (laughs) Right, right. Our our interest is, is just like a healthy intrigue with that. But there are a lot of people who partner to commit crimes. So I thought this might be apropos considering our podcast partnership. Some people need a partner in crime to flourish. And a lot of these people on their own really would never become killers. But together, I mean, here's here's a similar thing. Like me and you on our own, we would probably just get drunk at social events and offend strangers. But together, (laughs) we've decided to bring this magic to the world, you know. And I actually... My family thinks I'm funny. You think I'm funny. But I would have never thought to do this if you hadn't uh, you know, propelled it forward. So uh, that's an interesting topic for us to, to discuss. I remember the first time I met you. To me, it was one of those aha moments. I just, I felt like we clicked right away and we, we had a lot in common. And you guys had thrown a party and you were already there. And I sat down on the couch with a beer and you sat down next to me and started talking. And I just remember we talked for hours and hours. And it was like one of those, that kind of thing just doesn't happen all the time. I, I think it's, if, if it was that easy to make friendships or, or you know, it just doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, people wouldn't be lonely and become serial killers. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So, now, so now imagine you're someone that's looking for a romantic relationship or a best friend to commit horrible crimes with. In these relationships, how they play out, like what date do you think you bring up your murder fantasies? <laughs> save it for the third date the third date or or even with friendships like first you like shoot some hoops you go see a movie and then hey you want to try something different tonight (laughs) murder some people i'm just curious how it progresses i don't know something you looked into when you were in school or if it came i i just always looked into it because i found it fascinating you know there's so many male partners who do it together and and then married couples who do it together. Mm-hmm. Like some of the scariest serial killery men are, are married and do it with their wives. It's not a hidden thing. You know, I think that, I think that all of us are 
are scared. Like, um, like I fear the BTK killer who, who's a lone wolf who operates alone that nobody would have ever known if he hadn't started communicating with the press and everything or communicating with the, the police and everything. But it's even more terrifying. What if his wife was not only knew about it, but was a part of it, you know? That's oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, do you know about the Barbie killers in Canada, the Barbie and Ken? Yeah, actually, I, I definitely want to talk about them. That's uh, one of the scary ones for me is a couple, married couple like that. that for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, as a criminologist, you're probably not going to consider this a, a scholarly article, but I was reading a Psychology Today article a while back, and it reported that one-fifth of serial killers operate in teams. So I was just thinking about it for a minute, and I was talking to James, and I'm like, I don't know, is that really that big of a, a number? And James was like, he kind of mansplained it to me. He was like, honey, that means one in five serial killers are a team. <laughs> oh, no. Like, oh, it's like the, you know, one in five dentists. I'm like, oh, you're right. That is a big number. And then I'm like, Wait a minute. that's 20%. <laughs> so it's actually, I think, a, a fairly significant number. That is interesting. I didn't know that number, but Psychology Today is a good um, okay. it's, it's a good reference because the people who write for it are, are psychologists and yeah, there are people who know what they're doing. It's just written in a way that everybody can read and stuff. So it's a good source. So um, the, the actual source that that came from was a book called Serial Murderers and Their Victims by Eric Hickey. I don't know if you've heard of him. They, they reference him a lot in psychology today, but he analyzed 500 serial killer teams for his book. So it's oh. interesting. But when he, when he talked about it, he was saying that most of the relationships have a similar dynamic. Like a dominant and submissive or something? Mm-hmm. or Yeah, a dominant and submissive. Yeah. Well, if you go back to Columbine, two, two killers there, that was a situation there too, where there was a dominant and a submissive. And so you, if I look at just that murderous couple there and I say, I always wonder this too. Okay, I'm going to back up. I'm not making, I'm not finishing my sentences. So let me, I fear that I'm not finishing my sentences. Let me just say this. If you make it analogous to a marriage or a bad relationship, a bad romantic relationship, it's the same kind of thing. Because you think like you ever just been with somebody, even a friendship, but a really romantic relationship where they made you just worse. Like if you weren't with them, you would be so much better, right? So you so like you could be in a marriage where you two just have the worst possible thing and and the dude is 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 abusive and I'm not saying because of her I'm saying because of the mix of the two of you it brings out the absolute worst in him and it brings out the worst in her too you know and so and so I wonder like if if Dylan you know who and and Eric what's his name right. and Columbine had never met each other or found out another friendship where they didn't, where they brought out the best, you know, the worst, the best instead of the worst. Did you read that book, Columbine? It's probably the best book I've ever read. I mean, it's super dark, obviously, but it's so well-written, so beautifully written. It's phenomenal. It's by Dave Cullen and he delves into their relationship and he um, talks to and has, and has read many analyses of Eric, who is the ringleader guy. He's the, he's the dominant. And he is not just a budding sociopath, psychopath. He is a full-blown, already a full-blown psychopath. And so, unfortunately, sometimes that ha- the, the psychopath and the sociopath have so much power that they, if they get with the right person, it just turns into the worst mix. Dylan would never have done it on his own. Eric would have probably found somebody else to do it with, right. based on the research that's been done on them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I, I even in non-murderous relationships, you can see I I remember there was this preacher's son at our church. Every every time we went out and did stuff, we got into trouble. Like we were always up to some shenanigans. And at one point, I think his parents were like, I think Marie brings out the worst in you. <laughs> and honestly, thinking back on it, we were both coming up with terrible ideas of like TPing people's houses and practical jokes. But th- there wasn't, there wasn't that one person in the relationship that reigns it in. Like 
actually with you and James both, I have pretty much no boundaries with my sense of humor, but with you and James both, you both appreciate my sense of humor, but you're both willing to go, all right. (laughs) We, no, (laughs) we're not doing that. I mean, it's rare that I totally cross a boundary, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, part of a a healthy partnership is that you're able to rein the other person in maybe in areas. Yeah. But are there, are there any, okay. In particular, are there any of these murderous duos that you are most interested in? Absolutely. Okay. Let me hear that because I, I have a couple in mind and I'm trying to remember their names, but there's a couple of um, yeah, so, ones for me. Uh, oh my gosh. When you start thinking about how many serial killers are from California, I think Incredible. that's a whole nother topic that frightens me because you know I live there. So the, the first buddy killers I, were, uh, I was ever exposed to were the Truman Capote uh, in Cold Blood. I know you've I know you've read that because your cat's name is Harper. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Richard Hickok and Perry Smith. James introduced me to that book. It's it's still shocking. There's no no many no matter how many times you read about it or read it, it's bone chilling. It's shocking, and it's the perfect example. Of, I mean, these are the perfect example of two people that would just be like petty criminals on their own. But something about the pair of them together led to this. I read that in high school. And I, I, I mean, it was one of those assigned readings that I couldn't put down. I was like, every book should be this book. Every, yeah. oh my gosh, you know. Oh, I, I wish they assigned books like no, that. No, I actually read it in high school and then I read it again in college when it was an assignment. Yeah, but I read it in high school and I was like, where has this book been all my life? I mean, Helter Skelter I read in high school. I mean, I'm not that interested in cults, but that, that book was really good. But anyway, yeah, those murders, the in-cold blood murders were... Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, a couple of others. I, I do, I do find uh, the, the Hillside Stranglers interesting. Uh, Kenneth yeah. Bianchi and that's, that's one, one of the ones I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the, the, there's two, uh, actually, before I get to that, uh, there was, there was one recently that, that kind of mirrored the, the in cold blood killers. Do you remember, have you read about the Cheshire, Connecticut home invasion? Yeah. That's another one that was pretty disturbing, but the two that really have stuck with me, one is Charles Ng and Leonard Lake. That was my other one on my list. But, but the thing I can't remember is a lot of the details on that. So feel free to, to fill in some details on that. But uh, yeah, so Leonard Lake was a complete degenerate. And I supposedly this even started from when he was a, a young boy he would take naked pictures of his sisters and coerce them. God. Yeah. And apparently the grandmother who was watching them turned a blind eye to it. I mean, it's, what do they call it? The, the criminal triad, the bedwetting. Yeah. 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 Killing animals. Yeah. So he was, he was doing those things. He was killing animals. So he was already in a bad state and then he joined the military and after, I think he had an, an, an honorable, a dishonorable discharge from the military and ended up getting into the hippie movement in San Francisco. And for a while, he had settled down, although he was making bondage porn films and stuff like that. And who knows, no, maybe, he was, maybe he was committing crimes during that period of time as well. But he just more and more fantasized about creating a bunker out in the woods that could be a dungeon where he would take women and make them slaves and do whatever he wanted to them. And then he put an ad in the paper to connect with people about war reenactments or, or war drills. And this guy, Charles Ng responded to it. And I guess they, they started to have a friendship over it. Ng was a little bit younger than him. So it was almost like a mentorship in a way. But once Leonard had finished this compound, he just started killing all of his neighbors. Because this thing is out in the woods. It's like your, you know, your place. And then the way he got more victims, these are like the two laziest serial killers on the planet. They never went out and got victims. They just waited for friends and family members to come and look for the people that they had killed. And that oh, was, that's what they did. Yeah, and that would be their next set of victims. 
Oh my God. Okay. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost too crazy to believe. Yeah. I remember that they videoed a lot of their stuff. Yeah. That's, that was the thing that was particularly disturbing to me. I, I don't, I usually don't like to wallow in the details of, of a particular murder. What, what fascinates me is why the people do what they do and sort of the ramifications or consequences. And this stuck with me for a while because I saw a little bit of the video because the, for whatever reason, the prosecution decided to release portions of the, the videos to the news media. Is this so the like, one with the, the mother, the, the, yeah. the mom, things I've ever seen in my life? Yeah, and it was one of those things that I saw before I was able to make a choice because they just played it on the news. But I, the thing that stuck with me was thinking about the jury that had to watch full sections. Because we, what we saw, according to what I've read, what we saw is what was in the opening statements. That was as much as they played for the general public, and that's what the news media got a hold of. But, but the jury had to actually watch greater sections of it. Can you imagine how freaking traumatized you would be from sitting on a jury for like six to nine months and having to watch that crap over and over again? No. No. In fact, I fear being chosen for a jury for a horrific crime like crimes against children or videos or photos of children being molested or abused and having to sit through all that, or even just descriptive, vivid descriptions of it is, is bad enough for me. Like, I don't want to hear the vivid descriptions of like, okay, there's that show I survived, which I don't know if they still make new episodes of, of it now, but it was on for many years. You could find it online. There was a guy describing what happened to him when he was a, a child and it's, and I'm not going to go into detail. I'll just tell you that the main story. And I had to, I had to absolutely fast forward through it because he went into great detail as to the torture. Mm-hmm. He was like, I like a little kid, like five or six, no, maybe seven or eight. And he and his family gone to bed and he fell asleep on the couch. And so somebody was picking him up and he thought it was his dad taking him to bed, but it was his neighbor who was a teenager who took him to his house and started abusing him and, and broke almost every bone in his body and did all this horrible stuff. And so he describes in great detail every last thing that happened to him, which, hey, you know, it's your story, own the story. But I can't, I don't know if I had to sit on a jury and listen to that. I don't know. I don't think I could. I don't know that I could. Wouldn't you have to like close your ears or how do you choose that jury? I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I don't know if it's just as I get older, I don't know if it's changes in hormones or what, but certain things just affect me more. A lot of people say it's because, well, I have kids, so things affect me more. I'm like, it's not just that. There's something. Okay, I have a message for people who say, I have kids, so I. Or I have my own daughter, so I. Go fuck yourselves, okay? Don't say that you care about something more or your life matters more just because you reproduced. It's not something that you should be given a medal for, okay? (laughs) Fuck you. I hate that. Like, well, I have a daughter, so I know I shouldn't say things. You should know not to say fucking shit like that. And you know who also kills women? Men who have daughters. Shut up. Yes. Uh, in fact, a lot of these people have. Well, uh, that's, a, that's actually a, a, an interesting transition. They don't talk about her a lot, but Leonard Lake had a wife while all this was going on. Living there? I think so. It's, her name was Cricket. And- soap opera? Uh, that was her name, Cricket. But apparently, during the trial, the prosecution had her as a witness. They gave her immunity. So she's in some of the videos. Like, apparently, there's a video. There's a video of her laying in bed with Leonard Lake, looking through a photo album of women for them to pick victims. Now, her, I guess... I don't know what her defense is. I guess that's between her and the prosecution. And I'm sure there's probably books written about it. So it's something we could, we could find out, but she made a deal. She claims she wasn't involved in the murders. I'm sure she probably claims that she feared for her own life. Yep. But we never heard her story because they made some deal to not have her testify. So she got up to the, onto the stand and then all of a sudden both sides decided to not have her testify. But why give her immunity? I don't know. Is it immunity for your testimony? Yeah, it's really strange. 
It's really yeah, that's those guys. That story I've seen it. You know, you, you know, you've watched a lot of murder when the sh- when you watch a show that has about a different that about a murder that you saw on a different channel. Or Curtis and I are like, oh, I think we've seen that like three or four times on Dateline on da 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 da. Yeah, that one I've seen in a few things, and that's one of them. One one of the ones where I'm like, I kind of watch it every time because I still can't get my head around those two guys. Right. Like, right. Well, and, and you know what, when every single time I've seen a show on it, they never mention the, the wife. I, I was news to me. Yeah. It's really interesting. Did you read a book about it or something or how did you know about it? Um, back when I became fascinated with it, I just pretty much read everything I could. Oh, okay. okay. There is a book on it. I, I, I'd probably be curious enough to read the book, but, but what I do know about this woman cricket is that she was really into a lot of the things he was into but I think she was into the fantasy stuff more so she liked bondage she liked dominant submissive relationships and she he took their sex life into like the next I think that at least she's not admitting to murdering anybody she I think she may have helped procure some women there were some women that he just raped and tortured and didn't kill early on I think there's six surviving victims Oh, but she, he would, he was making bondage movies and she would star in them and she would, well, star is, she would be one of the players in them. Yeah. So, but for whatever reason, he just didn't choose to move forward with her in that pursuit or, or she just wasn't down for that. I'm not really sure why. Or she was participating and she just figured out a way to. So, yeah, let me ask you this. If, if, I mean, I, I don't know what the prosecution's reasoning was, but do you think there should have been immunity for that? How much torture and murder can you be a part of, even if you sit by complacently and, and not face consequences for that? Well, and again, I would have to, I would have to research more how much she was involved, but I would say what would she have to provide to you to give her immunity? Like for uh, me, I would have to say you would have to provide bodies and dead people. We didn't know about that are that families are missing their loved ones or something like that. You know, otherwise we already have videos of them doing this. We don't need you. Right. Well, and I mean, that's, that's a question that pops up right now with the Maxwell Ghislaine, the Epstein. Yeah. Like what, what would you, what could she offer to get immunity? Cause I'm sure she has stuff she could offer. She has all the stuff, but it's, it's certainly a devil's deal. Well, I think, I, I think Epstein, the only thing that he did was, was for blackmail so that he could, you know, gain power and gain money and all that, you know, like, so you go to a party at his house. Now you're, he's on your payroll. So their entire operation was blackmail. So who knows what materials she has? Who knows? Yeah. Well, and, and that's another buddy. Those are buddy criminals. Yep. Yep. Sure. How do you find each other? How do yeah. you find each other? I mean, it, it, it is interesting that, that people, I mean, I guess if you have similar interests, you're going to find people. It's just common sense. Yeah. It's when I was, when we, when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about all the group projects and in college and how they kind of mirror these, criminal buddy crime things because you always have like one person on the group team that's like a really type a dominant person (laughs) that like makes (laughs) everyone cower and (laughs) And then there's the one who never does a fucking thing it's it's like it's really like leonard lake and charles ing you know Uh, that was a question i was going to ask you from from your expertise what do you think each person gets out of the relationship the the dominant and the and the submissive like why do you have to have a partner to do this i mean yeah there's a couple things one is what gets you off gets you off so for for these guys let's go with the dominant guy what gets him off gets him off and obviously what gets him off is not just the killing it's the getting to order some around to do the killing for him or with him there's whatever it is inside of him and then there's a whole the whole list of things that that 90 something percent of serial killers have in common, which is a head injury, um, a childhood head injury. Mm -hmm. And so then if you think about having an injury to your brain, the way that you would have an injury on your, you know, your arm or something, then you have 
the, the development of your brain, the decision-making of your brain, the, the deficits that you have for empathy and decision-making and impulse control and anger. Um, and then you add that to like the, the notion of like an abusive, an abusive man, an abusive husband. Part of why he abuses is because his definition of what love is was never formed in a way that was healthy. And so abandonment and and somebody defying him is the worst possible abandonment thing somebody could do for him like and then you kind of put that in the idea of these relationships too is your definitions are all screwed up and your brain is all scrambled chances are because there's a head injury and then your definition of if you care about me you'll do this and then you get off on all of these other things and there's a there's just an ugly wicked combination you know and then there's the people who are the just submissive ones man i that to me is is more understandable because you are in some way feeling what you believe is love and attention for maybe the first time in your entire fucking life. So you you don't know what love is or what affection is, but that if you do this thing and you get approval from this person, all of a sudden that feels, you know, and again, there's probably a head injury. There's probably abuse in childhood and they never... Yeah, so that makes sense. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's no way. Okay, so you would agree with this. There's no way that a normal, normal-brained, well-adjusted person would slowly evolve into killing people with someone out of love. It's always someone that kind of has a problem to begin with. Yes, there's always going to be, it's never going to be like a fully formed, healthy adult who understands themselves and their ego and their self-esteem and their self-concept and their place in the world is going to be convinced to do those, to do those things with somebody. It's just, it's not a thing. Now, I'm going to surmise the dominant one, maybe. That person could have been born a sociopath or a psychopath. That person could have been born with a person or developed a personality disorder and managed to hide that from the world while they were successful in certain things in their lives or maintained a marriage. Or mm-hmm. um, so, but there's also almost never, almost never, that you find these serial killers who didn't have a head injury when they were kids or some level of brain damage. Right. So the brain is not even forming or functioning in the way that a, that a quote unquote normal brain mm-hmm. functions. Well, I, I love the the very first thing you said to describe the dominant person's behavior too, I, which I hadn't thought about. It's that sort of if a tree falls in the forest and and no one's there, is there really a sound? And I think maybe one of the motivations for these people is not just the the experience of what happens between them and the victim, but having another person see it is really important. And, and participate. If you can you can pr- convince a person to participate in it. And, right. And for you, if you are so twisted in your brain that them, them doing that in front of you or for you is even more of a, of a rush, you know? And I so wonder- the thing for me, like whatever gets you off, gets you off is the phrase that I would always say about humans or uh, uh, who commit crimes like that. Lust killers, what they refer to as lust killers, which is different from an angry killer, you know, or somebody who abuses and then kills. But if you are reaching out to somebody who is a stranger to, because you have to feel this lust inside of you for the blood or the rape, like some people get off on the horrific torture. And then some people get off on taking your new wife on a honeymoon next to a body that you buried who happens to be hurt. Right. right. It's like, okay. And I feel strongly about this. I fear when we when we dehumanize people who do things to dehumanize others, that is a fear of mine because the more we push them away and they're the other, the less we will ever try and understand what motivates them, which means we're never going to try and predict it and prevent it. And then we just sit here and go, I don't know, shit happens. People get killed. And I don't believe that. I don't think that's true at all. So I think if we humanize these guys and we go, make it like this, you and I, okay. So you and I, whatever gets us off. And I don't mean sexually. I'm just going to say like the things that we really love to do. Like I could take an entire six days of my life and, and, and watch stupid Hallmark movies and, and, you know, eat Cheetos and whatever. And I would be the most content, happy, and joyous person. And if you take that mundane thing and you turn that into, well, in order to feel that level of contentment, I have to stalk a woman for a year and a half and then break into her house and rape her. Otherwise I don't feel content. You know, that's what gets them off. Yeah. 
we do have to figure out what the human connection is there. Singing about James, like he always wants me to watch movies with him. And I always fall asleep <laughs> during the movies. Cause like half the time I don't even want to be watching them. And it's so irritates me. He'll like even shake me awake. It's like, I'm going to rewind this part. You really should see this part. And I'm like, are you not getting the clue that <laughs> that is so interesting we're going to psychoanalyze james for a second and i'm not again i'm not using this sexually but what gets you off gets you off well the movie doesn't get him off watching it with you gets him off exactly he wants to see my reaction to something that he enjoys so, so. you ever have the same thing with him where you want him to watch something or participate in something that he absolutely is uninterested in or would fall asleep <laughs> yeah me talking there's a lot of times I'm talking to him very passionately about politics or something. And he literally makes no, when you're having a conversation with someone, you're supposed to give cues like nod your head or, or do, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, I just feel like that's natural, but he doesn't. He sits there like a stone, which have makes me. Him, have you ever asked him about that? Yeah. I'm like. What did he say? He's like, I'm just listening intently to what you're saying that's what he says which i think is a lie he claims no i liked everything you were saying i was just listening he was like you were monologuing there wasn't any there wasn't any room for me to talk whatever we we constantly have this conversation we'll be 80 and i and and in the car and i'll be like why aren't you emoting to what i'm saying <laughs> he'll accuse you of monologuing that is so funny oh yeah yeah that's oh, that's man. the first thing he'll say is that i'm monologuing or that i couldn't give him a word in edgewise but i don't know uh it's just it's fascinating to think about the idea of a partnership being based on how another person reacts to whatever is going on so I don't think we can move past this topic. Without Hold on. Let me just say one last little thing before we wrap this particular thing up. If you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrap it up. I'm not. But I'm not, and I'm not making light of this, although I am, even though I'm not. One of the things that I wonder always about things like that, how do you come up with it the first time? Like who says it to the other very first time and says, you know what we should do? How, how does that moment unfold of when you know as the murderer or the would-be murderer that now's the time to propose this to my would-be partner, risking all of the things you would risk, you know? I mean, how do you, like, when is the first time you brought it up? Those are the things I would love to know. Like if I could sit down and interview some of these dudes, I would say, that'd be one of my questions. How did you know the moment was right for you to propose murdering someone, you know, uh, to this part, your partner? That mm -hmm. would be a question I would want to know because- there's so many things that could potentially go wrong. You know, if you're risking yeah. rejection, you're risking rejection. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I remember I went out on a date with this guy and I, I'd seen him at, the, there was this, I call it the nanny bar because when I was a nanny in New York, the nannies would all go to this one bar and he was there a lot and we talk and he, he asked me out and I, this was literally the first date that I went out on him with, I went out with him on when the date was over, he pulled up to the house where I was staying and we started to make out and he immediately, it was shocking with, with such precision as to how he did it. He reached down with one hand and took my shoes off and he started fondling my feet and moaning. And I, I jumped back and he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, that's all right. I think we should call it a night. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't think people wait. I think they just want to, they just want to find out right away. Is this a candidate or not? <laughs> you know? Wow. And, and this guy obviously had a foot fetish. I, I will tell you, I do have really nice feet, but I, I don't know. I mean, if honestly, I could see how if a guy had a foot fetish that he would like me, but it was shocking. Like there was no, there was no conversation about it. Nothing. He just, and clearly he'd done it. It's, did you ever see that Nicholas Sparks movie with, uh, oh, the chick from Orange is the New Black? Oh, yeah. What is the name of that one? I just, I remember from it that, and every everybody was Twitter pated on the internet about it, that right before the sex scene, he's able to take her bra off with one finger. 
it's worth seeing the movie just for that. It's he just has a technique, but anyway, I'm just saying so like people are trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, right. There's tutorials online about how to take a woman's bra off. Of like, actually, it wasn't a bad movie. I I expected it to be bad, but it actually the lucky wasn't. one. That's what it was called. The lucky okay. one. Yeah, yeah. Just based on how the whole thing went down, I'm pretty positive this guy has gone out with many women. First date, taking their shoes off, see how they react. And he's just waiting for the one that's going to go, oh, yeah, this is what <laughs> you're the one I've been waiting for. I got these lovely feet and I need them to be worshipped. So I, I suspect that it's not it's not as progressive as you would think it would be. I suspect that there's like some gateway activity, like maybe group sex of some kind with two guys, maybe with a prostitute or in the case, sex worker, sorry, group sex with a a sex worker, or in the case of, in the case of a romantic relationship, some sort of menage a trois or orgy, maybe picking up a woman at a bar, maybe even holding a woman hostage and, and yeah. So there's a progression, right? Yeah. so yeah, but there, there is a progression. It's just a question of how do we how do we know how do we know this is the guy we can progress with? Right. You know, at some point there is either an accidental death and we liked it, or we choose to kill someone together. Right. I don't know. Like that stuff's that stuff's interesting to me when it comes to like the duo killers. Well, the duo I- killers don't interest me as much as the lone wolf serial killer, though. Because again, like with with the the Columbine killers, there wouldn't be like it wouldn't have happened if they hadn't had the chemistry together. But the ones who decide to continue doing it, even if they don't have somebody pushing them on, or mm-hmm. you know, that stuff's that stuff's the more like those people are more interesting to me. Their brains are more interesting to me. Well, with the men, they may it could also be something that's found out by accident because a lot of a lot of these home invasion things, the the rapes are crimes of convenience. Yeah. Like they actually don't go into the house intending to rape somebody. Or vice versa. They go in the house intending to rape and then they don't mean to kill, but then they end up killing. Exactly. Yeah. But I, but I think with, with some of these relationships, I think the person just tries something in front of somebody, sees how they react and it just progresses. Right. And there is a lot of that within like the, if you're looking at videos of bondage or all that stuff, that's probably a lot of gateway kind of stuff. If that gets you off, then let's keep going and further and further. And yeah. Yeah. But before before we so, move on from this topic, I did want to talk about the the group that fascinates me the most, and that is the Canadian serial killer killer team, Paul Bernardo and Carlo Mocha, which it's Oh, a- the ones I'm sorry, I brought it up earlier. I'm assuming anyone that would listen to this podcast knows about their relationship only because Sometimes when I'm working, I have Discovery ID or HLN or something in the background. And this is one of those stories that they literally recycle new material on or old material over and over and over and over again. And I I thought it was kind of interesting because they're from Canada. I actually never thought, I thought about these kinds of things happening in other countries. Do you have details on the years that they did their killings? Yeah, 1987 to 1990. Okay. So and we didn't hear about them until recently, though. I think it's the early no, they, 2000s. Oh, really? That's when I started hearing about Let's them. find out. When did they get caught? Because I thought she went to jail and then she's out, I thought. But I'm not positive. Oh, really? I'm, I'm 90% sure. Well, I'm in terms of, I mean, obviously this happened in Canada, so we probably didn't hear about it. Uh, while it was happening in Canada, I just noticed it really starting to make the the rounds on true crime shows in the early two thousands. So they're so creepy because one of the things that they that they did was one of their victims was the sister of the of, yeah what's the her Carla the wife Carla, yeah her sister Tammy who I believe was like fourteen years old or something like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she yeah. literally gave he is roofied wow. her. And gave her over to her husband to rape and murder her. Yep. I remember. Yep. While you're looking that up, I was just going to ask you if you've noticed this trend. I just, I wondered recently if because this true crime thing is such a phenomenon, 
that we have actually started to run out of stories in the United States <laughs> because I've noticed more and more stories popping up of serial killers in other countries. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. That we're, We've literally run out of stories? Yeah, like we've just recycled the material so much and we've mined so much of our own material that we're going to other countries. I don't know. Some other countries have great serial killers. They're speaking of duos. There was one duo that were in Eastern Europe, teenage boys who were serial killers and, and killed older women in the town. And man, Italy has a phenomenal like serial killers. And then there's the Russians who like eat people and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Okay, I'm blowing my mind right now, Becky, because this seems like another area where we're going to have to challenge the notion of American exceptionalism. You know, I thought we were the, we were number one in this area. Are you serious? You don't have the best serial killers? I'm, I'm, yeah, right. I thought this was one area where we could really shine and apparently other countries are beating us there too. Yeah, there's a bunch of them in Canada and then there are a bunch that are in Europe. I was just, and I um, was looking them up because I wanted to get some of this some of this right. That's how I, that's my, that's my goal. I want to get some of this right. <laughs> and I, I found, and I don't want to go into too much detail about this first one. And they were in, I want to say Slovenia and I'll get it wrong. And the pronunciation of the city, I'm going to get wrong too. Um, but it was just recently, it was in 2007 and it was this teenage duo and they were in a town pronounced, I think I looked it up, Nepropotrosk. Okay, and I think that it starts with like wrong, a, but go ahead. I think it start it starts with a D, but the pronunciation is an N, so who knows? But yeah. there was a phenomenal case file on on that duo. It went on and on and on because they were so prolific, and they were only only in operation for like less than a year. But they did this for these. They videoed their crimes, and and of course it started with animal torture, which I'm not going to describe for you, and I wish I'd not read. But it's on video, and you know the poor jurors had to watch all this shit. Right. And then they committed 21, at least 21 murders in the span of a few months of time. And they would, they would beat people to death in the streets, like old men, old women, this teenage duo. It was insane. And they got caught and they went on trial. And they're referred to as the, the name of the city, Nepropotrosk Maniacs. That's good. You know, Europe, I mean, um, England has a couple of good ones. Do you know about the Moors murders? No, I don't know about them. Okay. So this one I have a personal little tiny weird connection to from when I was in Cambridge. So Myra Henley and Ian Brady, the Morris murders, they murdered children in the set in the sixties and they, they raped and murdered five small children. Um, and so what they would do is she would, she would be this one that seemed safe because she'd get out of their van and she'd ask the child, Hey, can you help me find my glove? And the child would get in the van and then they would take them off to these moors and they would do horrific things and bury them. And eventually they got caught. And so I was taking one of my classes at Cambridge in criminology and we were, they were talking about correspondence from prisons. And then we were given all these letters to open and read that had been written by all of these murderers. And so I'm touching one, I'm passing it along. I have one, I pass it along. And the professor comes over and she says, Lorraine, she goes, you know, that's one of the ones from the moors murders. That, that man, that is a letter from him. And I, I'm fascinated by this case. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, this is actually, this is his writing. This is his, you know, writing right here in my hot little hand, you know? And it was super freaky because when you read these letters, they're so articulate. I mean, they're so intelligent and, and like, like vivid of, you know, descriptions of how they feel and what they think and intelligently written. And, you know, it's not a babbling maniac, which is the thing that makes it just even that much creepier. Plus a man and a woman duo is, is creepiest for me. Like a woman doing that is just incredible. It's just me. because it's because a woman would participate in that. Well, that she would, that she would not just do it because it was like, he, he was forcing her to, or, you know, gun to well, her head. It was, it. it was, she wants to be a part of it and she enjoys it just as much, you know, because the vast majority of serial killers that work alone are men, obviously, but it takes a man and a woman oftentimes for a woman to become a serial killer. You know, the man has to be involved. You know what I wonder though about that? I wonder, I've wondered this about everything, sexual harassment and all of it, that as men and women become more equal in society if women will behave as badly as men. Like I even wonder with high level female executives, if a lot more sexual harassment of lower level men happens, it's just men are still afraid to, to come forward. 
I don't know, but I, I'll tell you what I think. And my source for this is my ass. But I think that it's more, yeah, that's my source. <laughs> so I'm pulling it out of my ass. I think it's more likely that men are becoming more like feminized than women are becoming masculinized in the bad behavior world. I think it's more likely that that's that's what it feels like. Like we're getting better. I think we're getting better, you know, but so there's this thing about um, about a year or so ago where people like, you know, the next generations after us also have watched every friend's episode and they love it. Right. They're obsessed with it, which to me is like, that's their Nick at night. But there was a whole thing going around about people saying, well, you know, there, there are some problematic parts of friends, right? There was like treatment of this and that and derogatory, you know, talk about this and that. And I remember some people in my generation putting on Facebook, like, look, these kids can't even take jokes. And I'm like, well, yeah, but isn't it okay to try and be better? Isn't it, isn't it okay to always want to have your behaviors be kinder and more considerate of people and to, to look back and not say that was wrong, but just say, maybe we don't do that anymore. Maybe we don't make jokes about, Hey, you have a gay quality about you. Cause that was one of the jokes right. that they made about you. So I'm like, I get it for the time. It was what it was, but there's not, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at it and going, maybe, maybe we could do better. Maybe we are doing better. Right. No, no, that's interesting because I, and this was in the nineties at one point I had a, a teacher call me out for saying something was gay and it, at the time, it didn't even occur to me. Do you know what I mean? Everybody was saying that. Yeah. It occurred to me what it meant. And then once he said something to me, it was like, oh, yeah, that's not a cool thing to say. Right. But, you know, things just become a part of the popular vernacular. And and I, I honestly, I think there are things that we say that are sexist and racist that we don't even realize that they mean that. They don't mean that to us. Right. You know? Right. Right. So... Yeah. Okay. Let me wrap up my little European things and I'll tell you about one of my ones that I really maybe want to do another episode on. Sure. But before you do that, before you do that, can I, can my ass talk to your ass real quick? Yes. Pull it out of your ass, Marie. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to touch back on, because we're talking about, you're saying in the serial killer duo universe that women being serial killers bothers you more uh, or women participating in it bothers you more. And I wanted to relate something to you that was in the news recently. Did you read the articles about uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle and uh, her being a harasser? Yeah. Yeah, I I do think I, I just wanted to add to this that women do get away with a lot more than men do with regards to this kind of stuff. And I do think that there are a lot of women out there that are sickos too. And in some cases, maybe it takes a, a man to motivate them to the next level. But I don't want to diminish the fact that there have been lots of women who've participated in helping getting victims for men and participated in the crimes. And mm-hmm. I do think that women have the same propensity as men do. It's just perhaps they they go about it in a different way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we're going to have to investigate that because I don't. I don't think women have the propensity the way that men do. I think like there's always the outliers. I mean, you know, for anything, but I don't think the propensity is there for a whole lot of reasons. So I'd be intrigued by to look into what that actually is. You know? Yeah. Cause what I'm going by is, you know, the statistical results of who's arrested, who's convicted, who do we confirm who did what? And for it to be a woman is, is so rare. It's just not a behavior that women engage in. And frankly, when they do, it's passive aggressive. It's poisoning. It's not shooting people in the head, you know? And so it's, it's, I mean, for it to be something extremely violent from a woman all by herself is very rare. It's very rare. Uh, by herself. I agree. It's rare. You know, like this, like the serial killer nurses, like, like the angels of death um, that are women, they do it, you know, they poison, they do it passive aggressively or the woman who buried all the people in her yard in San Francisco or Seattle, because she wanted their social security checks. And so she poisoned all these people in her home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like those kinds of behaviors. It's not, um, and it's a different motivation than a lust killing. Like a lust killing is a dude, you know, who like the golden state killer or whatever, where he, he is compelled to do this stuff. Like for those poisoners, those women poisoners and those women who do that, there's an underlying motivation that's different from the lust killings. So yeah. that's the part that's interesting to me for a woman to be motivated by that kind of lust 
thing. Uh, and when I say lust, I don't mean sexual. I mean that it's an, it's an urge inside of you to do the killing because those other women, like even the Tylenol poisonings, those were like one of the Tylenol poisonings. Those were like, she had another motivation, you know, getting back at her husband and all these other things. Right. So you know what I'm saying? So, so it's a different. I do. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking maybe, I think maybe where I'm veering off is, the the next step to like murder is is a whole nother thing. Whereas I think that there are plenty of women in our society in positions of power who would procure women for sex for men or who would engage in sexual harassment behaviors, which is totally different than murdering someone. Yeah, but also the people who are participating with men or, or getting the girls for men, there's another motivation there. You know what I mean? Right. Not always, obviously. Not right. always, obviously. But the other motivation of wanting him to be pleased with her, even if it's not, he's going to abuse you, but there's a motivation of a relationship there. And I don't want to diminish like that. There's nothing that's either better or worse about either one of those motivations. Like it's, you know, it's just, it is that the the particular underlying, you know, stuff. That's what fascinates me. So when I say that the women who participate in serial killings really bother me more, it's when you're compelled by the act itself, not the other motivations behind it. Right. Well, and, and I guess, I guess where I net out on this is to say that people who, like you were saying, I don't know that it's gender based to me as much, but people who can be motivated by other people to do things they wouldn't normally do scare me as much as the, the motivator. Same here. So they're, they're, they're equally as dangerous in their own way. Yeah. Like the, like the Manson ladies or even like tax the, the dude those people disturb me because it's like they would seemingly be normal people. It just, they, they tapped into the wrong guru. Right. So Mm -hmm. if, if, if they had like fallen in love with some passive church leader, they would just be like stealing people's money and, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or whatever, you know, Hey, I wanted to just, because I was thinking that you like butchered the name of that place in Slovenia. Is I just Slovenia. Did I get that country right at least? Actually, I don't know. I'm taking your word for the Slovenia thing. It, uh, I can't believe it. I went to look for the country and I didn't write down the country. Uh, it's, a, there, it's a two, 2007 Eastern European quote unquote Nepropetrosk maniacs. All right. Well, here we go. I'm going to play what it's how you pronounce it. Nepropetrosk. I was close. Kind of close. I, I want you to give me that. I was kind of close. Nepropetrosk. You've been listening to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie. I appreciate you listening. Please go to iTunes and write, rate, subscribe. Go to our website, fearthispodcast.com, and join our list for exclusive content that we haven't decided on, but I'm sure will be fabulous. Do that again. It was a little. <laughs> and and said, be sure and rape is what you almost oh. said. Write, rate, and subscribe. Yeah, and, and not write rape and subscribe is what it sounds like you're saying you've been listening now fear this please don't rape please go to itunes and not rape anybody that would be great (laughs) go to itunes go to our website subscribe there for exclusive content that will sure change your life yep life-changing content for (laughs) you